Chapter 24 The retainer wiped the mud from his eyes and stared in disbelief at the spot where the prince had gone under. There was no disturbance in the mist, nothing that indicated Bryant was alive and attempting to breach the surface. Cower pounded on the ground with his fists and raged. Dearest gods, I swear this now. I will quit you. If you do not save my prince, I will quit you this minute. Please, oh please, oh please, whimpered Malady as she squeezed her hands together and pressed her eyelids shut. I lost one man already on this trip. Don't take this one away from me too. For one long, horrible moment, they waited, hoping for a response from the gods. Hey, Gnome, said the Gnome to his brother. How long do you think he can hold his breath? Hmm, about two minutes. Ain't it been that long already? Oh yeah, at least. Maybe even longer. Denome stared at the misty blanket. Guess he's dead then. Malady began to wail and cower, distraught and at his wit's end, chewed on his hand and whimpered. Yet just when he too was about to collapse in despair, a mud-caked head appeared, sputtering and gasping, then a neck and a pair of shoulders, and slowly the prince rose out of the swallow-up. The others stared in shock and disbelief, convinced they were witnessing a miracle, until it became apparent the prince was standing on the back of an animal. A goo-sifter, to be precise, which was a large but passive creature indigenous of bogs that sucked mud through the gaps between its teeth in search of insects and small reptiles. This one was a baby, so it was a goo-goo-sifter, yet it was still big enough to support the prince and serve as a bridge for him to rejoin his companions. As soon as Bryant stepped off its back, the animal snorted, then submerged again to indulge in its favorite pastime of wallowing in the mud. I suppose we should choose another way, said the prince, unscathed by the experience, though somewhat wiser for it. Kawa nodded, trembling with relief. Then, to keep from breaking down in tears, he reminded himself of his purpose and wiped the mud from the prince's face. There now, my lord, that should help you see somewhat better. Oh, my lord, cried Malady, still shaken. I thought you was gone for good. Her first impulse was to embrace him, but after one look at the slime covering him, she decided against it. Instead, she turned to the boys and said, Well, ain't you got nothing to say? Noam shrugged. Oh, nice to have you back again. Yeah, added the gnome, mimicking his brother. We thought for sure you was dead. Well, now what? Asked Noam, flicking some slime from his fingers. Back to the river as fast as we can travel, said Brian, turning in what he assumed was the proper direction. No, my lord, blurted Kawa. That's the swallow-up. With a smug smirk, Noam jerked his thumb, indicating the correct direction lay behind him. The river's this way. No, it ain't, said Noam impatiently. It's this way. And he pointed off to his right. No, it is not, said Kawa, correcting him. All right, if you know so much, you pick away. Kawa scanned the area, then shrugged. I wish I knew, but I don't. Malady frowned. Well, someone better choose. Brian cleared his throat and opened his mouth to speak. But the bald look he received from everyone else convinced him he was not the best person at the moment to decide the issue. Any ideas? Asked the prince instead, keeping in mind a good leader was always willing to listen to the suggestions of those he led. 
But before anyone could reply, they heard the distant shouts of men, and turning in the same direction, they immediately saw a string of tiny flames in the dimness. The guards were trailing them through the swamp. I told you the river was that way, said Dinoam pointedly. Quiet, Brian snapped in a hushed voice. He watched the tiny flickers bobbing up and down, trying to judge the distance between them. This man Mortimer, he acknowledged, was indeed a formidable adversary. Wasting no more time, the prince grabbed a tall stick, tested the ground ahead of him, and, in this way, blazed a trail around the swallow-up. They slogged through the mire in single file, stepping into the rapidly filling hole made by the person in front of them. They had gone about three hundred yards or so when they heard the first screams. They halted and peered behind them. The soldiers' torches were barely pinpricks now, and they danced back and forth in a confused pattern. Mortimer had reached the swallow-up. Hours passed. They traveled deeper into the swamp, peering over their shoulders again and again for any sign of their pursuers. Soon they could not see the sky, so tangled and vine-covered were the branches overhead. The little light that did filter to the ground was a grayish hue, giving everything around them a lusterless, moribund appearance. Not a bird chirped, not a frog croaked. The silence was so complete and overpowering, it was truly a sound unto itself, droning everywhere and nowhere at the same time. Bryant cast edgy glances about him. He knew not what he expected to see, but something about this swamp made him uneasy. He took hold of Slabest's tilt. Almost immediately, he became aware of a tingling sensation in his hand. However, he had no time to dwell upon this, for presently the mist rose in a most unnatural way, surrounding him so completely he could no longer see anything but the mist itself. Cower called Brian alarmed. I, my lord, came the retainer's voice. He turned in the direction he thought it had come. The mist, is it? Aye, my lord. W- what's going on here? Called Malady in a fearful voice. Who's this? Said Dinoam, probing the mist in front of him. Your mum, and get your hands off me bum. She grabbed the boy and pulled him to her. Where's your brother? Hey, Gnome. What? Where are you? Over here. Over where? Over here. Where are you? Over here, of course. Who's this? Asked Cower, turning to the rear and reaching out. I'm tired of being poured, groused Malady. <gasps> I beg your pardon. Brian peered about him, feeling most disoriented. Cower! Hey, my lord! I don't know which way to go. This mist is baffling my senses. Then stay where you are, and we'll find you. The retainer linked arms with Malady, who linked arms with Dinoam, and together they inched along until they came upon the prince. Now what do we do? Asked the little one. It was then Brian remembered the rope. We can use this to stay together. He tied one end about his waist, then tied a loop around each of them, along with a generous amount of slack. He stopped and gazed about, confused. Until that moment, he had not realized Gnome was missing. Where's your brother? Hey, Gnome, where are you? Over here. Over where? Over here. Over here. Noam peered into the mist, no longer knowing which way to turn. All right, now don't go losing your head. You'll find him. The boy inched forward, his arms outstretched. This bloody mist. He scowled. I ain't seen nothing like it. He moved on in this way for a minute or two. Some trip to the country this is, thought the boy. Running around, following a lunatic what couldn't find his way out of a room with one door. Hey, called the boy. You still there? Yeah, came his brother's voice, but now it was punier, as if it was farther away. Dunno him, shouted Noam nervously. Mum? 
Someone keep talking. Now, um... Came his mother's voice in the distance. Where are you? Over here. Over where? Are you gonna stop that again? He walked on, his teeth starting to chatter, not because he was cold, but because he was now quite afraid. And then a thought struck him. What if I can't find him? What if they leave me here to rot? Ha! Hey! You guys! Called the boy, tears springing to his eyes. Where are ya? He waited. Mum? But no answer came. Panic gripped him, and he started to run. Don't leave me here, Mum! Please! Suddenly the ground was not where he expected, and with a startled cry, Gnome tumbled head over heels down a sharp incline. At length he rolled to a halt with a grunt. He rubbed his aching head and winced, having struck it on something on his way down. He pulled himself to his feet, shaky, somewhat woozy. He looked up the hill, and he saw the mist upon the crest, seeming much like an impenetrable curtain. Funny how it just stays there. You'd think it'd creep down the hill. It was then he heard his name. No! It was barely audible. So far away, he could not tell if it had been his mother calling. Here! shouted the boy, his voice cracking discordantly. And watch your step! Now, um, came a voice from directly behind him. Startled, the boy whirled about. But there was no one. He waited a bit, his eyes ticking back and forth. Who said that? Silence was his only reply. He scowled and peered about the gully. Then he rubbed his head. Must have hit it harder than I thought. Now, um, came the voice again, and again it was from behind him. He spun on his heels, afraid now, his eyes darting back and forth, searching for his tormentor. It was then he saw the girl. She was on the other side of the gully, about thirty feet away, standing atop a grassy knoll among a tangle of branches. They moved as if they had a life of their own, surrounding the girl in a lacy cocoon. As he approached, the cocoon suddenly opened and drew back, framing her in an almost perfect arbor. She was beautiful, the most beautiful girl he had ever seen. She had long auburn tresses that billowed about her, and this he found odd, for there was no breeze. She wore a plain white dress that laced up the middle. He could not help but notice how her full breasts seemed barely contained. The skirt portion clung to her front as if the wind had increased in strength, revealing the flowing line of her thighs and legs and the conical shape of her sex. Noam's heart quickened to a frantic beat, and he felt a stirring in his loins. When she beckoned him with a delicate gesture, he started forward willingly and in eager obeyance. This can't be happening, decided the boy. I gotta be dreaming. The thought triggered something in his mind, and it was then he recognized her, for she was none other than the girl he would conjure whenever he was sure Denoam was asleep. Aye, it was her, in all her beauty and lusty appeal. But how could that be? And what's she doing here of all places? She grinned at him coyly, her full lips pressed together. Somehow, though the boy could not explain it, her bodice laces were untying, the front of the garment spread wider, and the girl's breasts, no longer restrained, spilled freely for him to see. That all this was happening, exactly as he had fantasized, mattered not to him. He was swept up by his growing passion and a willing prisoner of the dream. Weaving across the gully, he came to the bottom of the grassy knoll and quickly began to climb, only slightly aware of the crunching sound that came with each step he took. Brian and the others plodded through the muck, enveloped by the mist, which by now was so dense and mordant it was more like sulfurous fumes than anything else. Noam! called the prince, wincing. His throat stung more sharply with each breath. Noam, lad! 
Where are you? This ain't like him, wheezed Malady, wringing her hands as she peered every which way. So concerned was she, the woman no longer gave any thought to the mist or the way it burned her insides. You don't think he got swallowed up by a swallow-up, do you? We'll find him, said the prince, indulging her the best he could, for his patience was strained to the limit. My lord, said Cower, clutching at his throat. I can't breathe. Me neither, croaked Dunoam. Indeed, it seemed as though the fog was robbing them of their air. Each of them began to cough uncontrollably. Malady fell to her hands and knees, gasping and straining. Cower felt his consciousness slipping away, while Dunoam gave out with a fearful whooping sound as tears ran down his cheeks. This fog, thought Bryant, struggling to stay lucid. This blasted fog. I've never seen anything like it. It's almost alive. His hand involuntarily reached for Slaybest. Once again, he felt the tingling sensation. This time, however, when the mist closed in, he drew Slaybest from its scabbard. To his astonishment, and to the astonishment of everyone else, an orange glow emanated from the blade. Aye, orange, as opposed to blue, for it was well known some blades emitted a blue glow when orcs and trolls were about. Orange, however, indicated a much more complicated smelting process, which meant the blade could detect far more monstrous species than just orcs and trolls. Also hazardous mold, which was a good thing in a way. Such was the glow brilliant, pulsating, and upon its appearance the mist drew back abruptly, as if it found the light a threat. Suddenly the air was not so tainted. In just a moment they were all coherent once again. Clip me toenails! Would you look at it? croaked Malady, staring in awe at the blade. I ain't seen it do that before, mentioned Denome, rubbing his stinging eyes. Cower marveled at the light. How did you? I've no idea, said the prince, feeling cheered by the glow. He cleared his parched throat. But now I know what I'll Dina meant when she said there was something powerful about it. The prince extended Slaybest, took two quick steps forward, and, as he expected, the mist just as quickly shrank from the blade. They pressed on in this way, and though the glow never lapsed, there were moments when it brightened. Though he had no explanation for it, he believed the sword was acting like a divining rod. What it measured he was not sure. Where it was leading them he did not know. But he was no longer cheered by the light, and the brighter it grew, the more he was convinced Noam was in terrible danger. I want you, Noam, said the girl, though she had not moved her lips. Come to me, come to me, my darling. Noam climbed higher, losing footing here and there. A sudden wind rose up, robbing the girl of her dress. She stood before him, revealed in every way, and made no attempt to cover herself. At last he reached the top, and he stood for a moment, awed by her beauty, driven by her nakedness. His heart pounded in his chest, sending his hot blood streaking through his veins like the fiery stone he had once seen crash to the ground from the heavens. Come to me, Noam, beckoned the girl. Suddenly she was no longer standing, but resting on a pedestal of limbs. I want you. I hunger for you. He stepped into the arbor and let fall his braces. So consumed was he, so enraptured, he took no notice of the limbs entwining and becoming a cocoon once more. Bryant broke into a trot. In addition to the glow, Slaybest now hummed. Hi! Hi! cried Malady. I can't keep up! You must! called the prince over his shoulder. Noam's life depends on it! The mist parted like a curtain before them, revealing the crest of the hill and the depression beyond. They scrambled down the slope, the rope tugging at their waists, going slack then taut once more. Slaybest glowed with the intensity of a hot coal, and the hum had become a full harmonic chorus. It was then they came to an abrupt halt, so stunned and horrified were they. For atop a massive pile of bones and viscera, 
enclosed in a strange-looking cocoon, was Noam with his pants collected about his ankles. Strange place to take a pee, observed De Noam. Bryant spun about and severed the line between them with one quick slice from Slaybest. He said not a word and broke into a run as fast as his legs would carry him. He had heard tell of creatures such as this, though he never in all his days expected to encounter one. For they were of a time long since past, a time when men huddled in caves and monsters roamed the land in search of them. Nevertheless, there it was, a gormandizer, and the hairs on the back of his neck stood on end. According to the ancient texts, they had strange powers over the mind, which they used to lure their unsuspecting prey into their clutches. Once captive, the victim's flesh was stripped away and devoured. Bryant knew if he did not reach the boy in time, Noam's fate would be the same. Noam! bellowed the prince as he reached the bottom of the mound. The boy stepped back. Through the coiled mass of tendrils, he saw Bryant climbing toward him, sword glowing in his hand, a menacing look on his face. Hey! snarled the boy. Get your own girl! Embarrassed, wanting to apologize for the intrusion, Noam turned to the girl once more. But what he saw made his eyes go wide and his mouth fall agape in horror. For where the girl once had been, so lovely and so inviting, was instead the sickly grey trunk of a barkless tree, and in its center were two large hollows above a mouth filled with jagged teeth. Noam shrieked and retreated, clawing at the limb that held him prisoner. Help me! cried the boy in terror as they pressed him closer to the creature's jaws. Help me, please! I don't want to die! By then, Bryant had reached the top of the decay and, without a moment's hesitation, sliced into the tentacles surrounding the boy. Instantly, the gully was filled with a blood-curdling scream. The cocoon unraveled, its spasming arms twisting here and there. The prince grabbed Noam by the scruff of the neck and threw him off the top of the mound. Get him away, shouted the prince to Malady. And then to Kawa he added, Hurry, be gone from here! My lord, take care! Responded Kawa, pointing past the prince. Bryant whirled and faced the gormandizer's weaving tentacles. Some had sharp thorns embedded at the end. Others had tiny jaws lined with needle-like teeth. One such tentacle lunged at him, attempting to attach itself to his face. The prince ducked and sliced it in half, leaving the cutting writhing on the ground like a mortally wounded dune worm. Though it should be noted, real dune worms can grow up to a mile long and have yet to come up against anything that might cause them harm. It has been reported that dancing a jig in front of them often confuses their senses, sending them retreating below the sands. But this is not substantiated. More tendrils attacked, this time from all directions, but the prince kept his head and, employing every skill from his years of training, dodged and fainted and wove here and there, leaving much of the gormandizer lying about like cuttings from a garden hedge long in need of trimming. What's the matter? said the prince, lifting Slaybest for it to see. Have you never encountered something like me? Something that comes with its very own stinger? The gormandizer seemed to frown at this, and, instead of using its remaining tendrils, shot straightforward with its trunk. Though thick and bounded by its roots, it stretched amazingly far. As it closed, it spread wide its jaws, and would have taken an enormous bite of the prince had he not, at the very last moment, driven Slaybest down its maw. The creature retracted, spilling a dark red fluid along with its gore, until at last, with a pathetic whimper, it was back to its normal shape and size. Bryant watched and waited, ready to strike again. But the gormandizer appeared to have given up. Winding its few remaining tendrils around its ravaged trunk, it gave itself a solacing hug. Then from it came a pitiful wail, and it shook as if it wept.
Bryant almost felt sorry for it. Thinking the fight over, the prince backed away. He turned and started slowly down the mound, yet he had not gone more than a few paces when a voice straight from his dreams whispered softly in his ear, Oh, please don't go, now that I've found you. The prince halted and spun around. His mouth fell open, for the gormandizer had vanished, and in its place stood Mian, dressed in the gown she was wearing the night he escaped. I've thought of this moment for such a long time, said the princess, looking most resplendent. Brian stood in place, transfixed. In his mind, everything had vanished. The mound, the mist, Noam and the others, all had fallen away except Mian. And so have I, he heard himself say, a desperate longing in his voice. Then why do you hesitate, asked the princess. Each moment you waste is precious to us. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else existed, save for the flower-lined path leading to her. He started forward, love overflowing, heading straight for her outstretched arms. Put your stinger away, implored Mian. Please, I've missed you so these last few months. Thinking nothing of the request, he began to do so. But from out of Slaybest shot a brilliant light, and its celestial chorus rose an octave. Bryant stayed his hand, and looking up, he shuddered at what he saw. Where just a moment ago stood his love, now was a grotesque, distorted version, a Mian not from his dreams, but born from nightmares. Where once her eyes had been, now sprang tendrils replete with jaws and teeth. From out her mouth came a third, crowned with a thorn as sharp as a dagger. They came at him again and again, snapping, thrusting, fighting almost heedlessly, as if with one last desperate effort. You are not me, Anne, cried Bryant, sick of heart, filled with remorse and loathing. He attacked the image, though each blow he delivered was like one to himself. Frantic now to save its life, the gormandizer probed deeper into Brian's mind, changing to his mother and then to his father, to Dylan, to Niles, and then to Duane. Brian thought his head would burst. Overwhelmed, staggering, on the brink of collapse, the prince let Slaybest fall from his hand. It was then the gormandizer changed to Darren. Brian dropped to his knees and stared in shock. You, said Brian in barely a whisper. Your identical twin, said Darren, gloating as usual. He stretched toward the prince, arms opened wide. Without you, without me, neither of us is a whole person. My better half, uttered Brian, and the rightful king. Brother dear, rest assured when I tell you just how deeply I share your pain. And upon hearing the word, the prince's agony increased. He gasped and clutched his head as his brother's voice rang out over and over again. Share your pain. Share your pain. Share your pain. Do you now? Said Brian through gritted teeth. Yes, of course, replied Darren, whose face just then began to change. Brian stared at the dissolving image, and his mouth twisted into a sneer. In that case, let us share some more. He cried aloud, and, diving forward, grabbed Slaybest from the ground. He was up again in one fluid movement. Tell me if this is too much for you, spat Brian through a grimace, and I'll gladly increase my pace as he slashed and cut and hacked away. All traces of Darren disappeared, and the gormandizer re-emerged, shuddering with every blow the prince delivered, filling the gully with its mournful cries. My lord, shouted Kawa at length, having reached the top of the mound. It is enough, it is enough, do you hear? But the prince did not stop until the shrieking had ended, and so too had the pain in his head. He stood away, his chest heaving, 
All that remained of the gormandizer was its stump, and this twitched and quivered until it shriveled and disappeared beneath the bones and viscera it had collected. Brian knew it was dead, for Slaybest's blade stopped glowing. Sheathing it, he turned and climbed down the mound, sick to his stomach and trembling from fatigue. When he rejoined the others, he found Malady spanking Noam upon his bare buttocks. Between whacks, he heard her say, If I ever catch ya doing that again, you won't be able to sit for a year. Winded, her hand smarting, she let him go. Now put your pecker back in your pants and don't take it out again until you're married. The boy obeyed his mother, trying hard to maintain his dignity as he laced his braces. But even when he was done, he could not bring himself to look at the prince. Instead, he snorted and strode past him with a cocky air. Let's away from here, said Brian morosely. He started toward the hill. At that moment, he cared little if the others followed him or not. Ingrate, thought the prince, his feelings bruised. The boy's an ingrate. I suppose I should have left him to be eaten. But moments later, when they had emerged from the gully, Brian found Noam walking beside him. He tossed the boy a curious look and waited for him to speak. After a moment, Noam still had said nothing, nor had he looked his way. Brian considered addressing the subject, but quickly decided against it. For what would be gained by pointing out to the lad the death he had narrowly escaped? It would only make him more resentful and cause him to suffer additional pain. Therefore, Bryant said nothing and concentrated on blazing a trail. In this way, they traveled along until, to the prince's surprise, Noam cleared his throat and muttered, Thank you for saving me life. Bryant waited for the boy to improve upon the remark with one of his sarcastic comments. But to his surprise, none came. You are welcome, rejoined the prince, being careful not to look Noam's way. He came to a gooey patch of ground, grabbed a long stick, and tested it before continuing across. Look, said the prince somewhat stiffly, eyes straight ahead, searching for more swallow-ups. I know it's difficult for you to think of me as a friend just now, what with your father's death still so recent, but I want you... And your brother, and, and even your mother to know, you can depend on me, not just now, but in the future as well. Perhaps you and I, eventually, might even be friends. He waited for Noam to reply. If you'd like, I mean, if, if and when you're ready. Again he waited for Noam to speak, and again the boy did not. Brian decided the time had come for them to clear the air. But when the prince turned to face him, he realized Noam was no longer there. Having dropped back to the end of the line, he had not heard anything Brian had said, not a single word. The prince shook his head incredulously. But of course, muttered the prince to himself, I should have known. Did you say something, my lord? asked Cower in a weary voice as he trudged along. Brian snorted, feeling somewhat peevish. <laughs> Nothing important, replied the prince. Off after which he proceeded in silence, poking the tar-like ground, wondering somewhat dubiously, despite all his years of learning, if he would ever understand the mind of a pubescent boy. Oh!